kids are all gone. The screen's gone up. It's quiet. I think there's a verse in the Bible somewhere in the Psalms that says, there was silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Imagine silence in heaven. Boy, those kids would exhaust you, wouldn't they? Oh, man. I've got three kids of my own. I've got eight grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. And looking after them is an ordeal, I'll tell you. Anyway, it's good to be here. It's good to open the Word of God and to ask for His blessing as the Word is ministered. So I trust the Lord will bless the reading of His Word. Turn please to, I'll just ask you to turn to one verse for the sake of time. Turn please to Matthew's Gospel, sorry, I beg your pardon, Psalm. Psalm number 14. Psalm 14. I'm going to be speaking about a very unusual subject, but uh, I trust the Lord will bless it to us. Psalm 14 says in the first verse, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Just want to read that again. The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. The Bible has much to say. And I've noticed this recently in my readings. The Bible has much to say about foolishness, fools, and wise. Two things, or two types of people, if you like. The number two, of course, is the number of division. We can trace it right throughout the Word of God. So the Bible has much to say about this. So, like, what is foolishness? How would you describe this? What are the consequences of being a foolish person? I want us all to measure ourselves with what the Word of God has to say. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? The Bible exhorts us to pursue wisdom. Pursue it. The Bible introduces... I want to concentrate on, on foolishness. What the Bible has to say about fools and the foolishness of those who behave like fools might seem a rather strange topic. We'll talk about it and trust that the Lord will impress it upon our hearts. There are many, many references to fools. I mean, I was astonished when I looked at the concordance and saw the number of insertions in the concordance with regards to the word fools and foolishness. Foolishness being, of course, the behavior of fools. Now, the designation of fools in Scripture carries with it a meaning that may not be the meaning that you would give to it in our day-to-day language. In Psalm 14, we read that the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I know plenty of people who say there's no God. You know, but like, human beings wouldn't classify them as being fools. 
I mean, they're brilliant men and brilliant women. They're intellectuals. I taught in a school where there were 110 teachers. I've told you this before. Three of them were believers in Christ, and they were called fools. And the three believers looked upon the other members of the staff, 108. We looked upon them as fools. Simply because the Word of God gives us authority to say that. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I, I, I can't believe that there would be somebody here uh, who, who would say that uh, there's no God. There might be for all I know. So I want to ask you, as the Lord looks into your heart, and only you know what's in your heart, if the Lord looks into your heart, what, what's going on there? I mean, are you here as a non-believer, as a fool? According to the word of God, I'm not calling you a fool. Are you here and you're disguised? I mean, you're disguised as a Christian? You come here because, well, for some reason you like coming. But deep in your heart you know that you don't believe in God. I'm not sure that that's possible in a group like this. But you never know, as we shall see. The word fool in the Bible carries with it a moral sense. A moral sense. Rather than a question of intellect. When we say someone's a fool, we, we mean that up here he hasn't got much going for him or for her. That's what we mean by a fool. But the fool in the Bible could be a brilliant intellectual person, professors galore all over this continent and beyond. And they don't believe in God. They say there is no God. I can't understand it. Isaiah 32 and verse 6 says this. The foolish person will speak foolishness. Well, that's obvious. His heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness. To utter error against the Lord. To keep the hungry unsatisfied. And he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. You see... That means that the fool really is a person who is not ready to help those who are in need. That's what Isaiah says under the influence of the Holy Spirit as he writes these things. Isaiah looks around and he sees people and they're not willing to help their neighbors. He won't give thirst. He won't give drink to the thirsty. He won't give food to the hungry. He's unwilling to care. Now, the generous person, of course, is in contrast to that. The generous person, by contrast, is he sees he's depending on God and he provides for the poor. Do we as Christians provide for the poor? Then God says you're wise. If you don't provide for the poor, God says you're foolish. Interesting. But he's a moral fool, not an intellectual one. Now, please note the difference. And they tend to live immoral lives. People who do not believe in God do, do have a tendency to live immoral lives. They have no sense of morality or very little. 
To claim there is no God, that's the major problem in our society today. And the whole culture is influenced by those who are atheists. Atheist means no God. And they don't keep it to themselves. They're all coming out of the woodwork all over the place. Bragging about the fact. Writing books about the fact that there is no God. And this hasn't only been going on in our century. It's been going on for the last three or four centuries. But particularly it's heavy duty stuff today. Psalm 14 says the fool has said in his heart. In his heart there is no God. And that's the kind of society we live in today. Multitudes of fools in the world today. And you and I as Christians of course we realize that this is a very strong statement. Very strong. Christians are called fools. That's the cost of discipleship. That's the price we pay for saying, I believe in God. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I'm on my way to heaven. I mean, people today don't believe that. The preaching of the cross, says Paul in Romans, the preaching of the cross to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. What you and I believe. And what the meeting we had this morning as we remembered the Lord taking bread and wine. I mean, an intellectual coming in who's an atheist would say, you're all crazy. You all need to go and see your doctor. That's what the world thinks of you and the world thinks. But who cares what the world thinks? It's what the word of God says. It's what God says in his word. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. You and I, of course, don't believe that. fool hath said in his heart, there's no God. There was a man in the 17th century, and he was Spurgeon. Some of you know great C.H. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. Great preacher. Well, Spurgeon thought this gentleman, whose name was John Trapp, he was a prince of commentators, according to Spurgeon. Now, John Trapp said this. Now, it's very serious stuff. 17th century. He said this about atheists. Oh, horrible thing to say in his heart. There is no God. That fool, he says. That sapless fool. That carcass of a man. That walking sepulcher of himself. In whom all religion and right reason is, with, is withered and wasted and dried up and decayed. That apostate in whom natural principles are extinct and from God is departed. That mere animal, he says. That mere atheist. These are strong words, but that's how they spoke in the 17th century. The religious people were in the majority and those who rejected God during the age of reason... I mean, they were the fools according to society. And that's why John Trapp spoke in such strong language, savage outburst. What imprecation on these people of his time. Now, would you say such things? Well, I I wouldn't go. uh, I would have difficulty saying what John Trapp said, even though I'm a believer in God and I mingle with those who don't believe in God day after day and have throughout my life. 
Amazing. You all know William Kelly. Those of you who read uh, the great books of the last century, William Kelly was a great writer. And he had a son, or was it a nephew, who was studying Greek. And he went to the university. Uh, I'll just read this to you. The late W. Kelly, preacher and Bible expositor who has written many commentaries and so on and so on. And uh, his nephew took the classics course in the university. He went to university and took the classics course. And he was so impressed with the accuracy and the beauty and the perfection of the Greek language that he called him and asked who helped him in his... That's the teacher called this nephew. He was so impressed with Kelly's nephew that he said, Who taught you this? How come you know such, such magnificent uh, languages like Greek and Latin and Hebrew? I mean, he was astonished. Oh, he says, my uncle taught me. And the uncle was William Kelly. So he says, I'd love to meet your uncle. So he brought his uncle to his professor and introduced him and left them together. And as they conversed in the Greek language, the professor's eyes opened wider and wider at Mr. Kelly's profound erudition and extraordinary knowledge of the Greek language and the use of the Greek language. So he said, and may I inquire what your vocation is, Mr. Kelly? Certainly, replied the expositor, I am a preacher. And I travel here and there all over the country, ministering the word of God to groups of Christians. And taking a deep breath of surprise, the professor said abruptly, Man, he said, you're a fool to William Kelly. Immediately came Kelly's reply. He said, Professor, for which world am I a fool? You see? Now you and I who are believers in Christ, we're looked upon as strange people, strange individuals in our work ethic in the communities where we live we go, to, we go to church as it were, we study the word of God, we don't use bad language, we love the Bible we preach the God, I mean they think we're strange, they think we are strange but that's okay we're on our way to heaven we are God's children we are God's children absolutely so that was uh, an interesting little thing. I want to talk about fool number one. That's what we read Psalm 14. The fool hath said in his heart, in his heart. He doesn't go about blabbing all over the place. He just, he just says to himself, there's no God. He says what he thinks. In his heart, that's what he thinks. He doesn't broadcast it. However, I mean, he's completely irrational. Does he know everything? This fool who says in his heart, there's no God. Do you know everything? Are you omniscient? Are you omnipresent? Have you been everywhere in the universe and, 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 and you've come to this conclusion? No. That's the point. People who claim to be atheists... Like this fool in Psalm 14. I mean, why do they say that? 
They ignore the immensity of the universe. They don't know about the universe. This little speck, this little speck on which we live called Earth, it's only a little tiny speck in the huge universe that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what he says. That's what God says. And am I going to listen to this fool who says there's no God? Who does he think he is? He not only lives on a tiny planet, but look at him. Among the three and a half billion people who live in the world. He's, he's a nobody really. Look, I am nobody. In the whole cosmic scheme of things. Does he realize all of these planets have their precise movements all over the great universe? There are they all moving. They're not banging into each other. Who's controlling this? I mean, who's controlling the universe? It's God. Or only God can do it. Think of the intricate design of the human body. Don't look at my body because I'm withering away. But quite frankly, like the human body is absolutely staggering. And God made us that way. Oh man. The complexity of the human body. The human brain alone. Look at the human brain. And the extraordinary properties of water and salt. I read this. The earth is just perfect to sustain life. The earth itself. Henry Bosch has pointed out that the wonder of God's marvelous creation. The earth rotates on its axis. You and I, as we sit here, we are, as I said before in my last meeting, I think, but if you were on the equator, the earth is 25,000 miles, and it goes 25,000 miles once every 24 hours. So that's 1,000 miles an hour, roughly. If you were on the equator, you'd be traveling at 1,000 miles an hour. How do you like that? At this latitude, you're probably traveling about maybe, oh, just guessing, 600 miles an hour. But even so, imagine that. Now, if that had been 100 miles an hour, our day and night would be 10 times longer, and our planet would alternately burn and freeze, and under such conditions, vegetation couldn't possibly exist. I could go on and on with these scientific Statements, but here I must watch my time. So what is God's verdict? God's verdict, according to Psalm 14, is this. That such people are fools. They are corrupt. They are corrupt. Now we meet them every day. We meet them every day. Don't be surprised if they call you a fool. But I wouldn't suggest that you call them a fool. God can do that. God can do that. Now, when we come to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and time's just running away here. I haven't got time to... You probably know the story. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 16 to 20. Maybe I'll read you a few verses from it, because in all fairness, this is the Word of God. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and verse 16. He speak a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain... Rich man brought forth plentifully. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my goods. He said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, You fool. You fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then who shall all those things be which you have provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Our Lord Jesus Christ said that this man is a fool. Now how does he differ? Well, the fool in Psalm 1, he said it in his heart. I mean, this man, this man, <laughs> this man's just bragging about all that he's going to do. I'm going to pull down my barns. I'm going to build bigger. It's all I. It's all me, my, and myself, and I. That's what he says. He brags about it. He laughs about it. He publicizes it. That's what Richard Dawkins does in his book, God is, God is, uh, God is a Delusion. Richard Dawkins, a famous professor in England, has gone about over the years preaching atheism. That's what he does. That's what he does. Says, God is the delusion. Brilliant, brilliant man. The first man says in his heart, there's no God. But this man goes about bragging all over the place. I like, I've been so successful. I'm going to take down my barn. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to build this. And he just brags to everybody. God says he's a fool. He's going to die. He's going to die tonight. So what about all these plans you have? Proverbs 12 says, The heart of fools proclaims foolishly. There's a fool, you see, who proclaims foolishly. A fool utters his mind. The laughter of fools, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, a fool is full of words, full of words, brags about it all the time. How interesting that is. There was a man called Thomas Paine <clears throat> who lived in the 18th, at the end of the 18th century. <clears throat> he was a brilliant man. An English man who came to America, <clears throat> so therefore he was an English-American he was an atheist, political theorist, into politics up to here. He was a revolutionary, fought in the French Revolution, and he fought in the American Revolution. He argued against religion, the Christian doctrine in particular. There were six people attended his funeral. Six people attended his funeral in 1809. He was a brilliant academic hailed throughout the academic world as one of the greatest minds in the world. And he said, he was famous for this saying, my mind is my church. My mind is my church. In other words, he exalted his mind over the mind of God. God says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. Not the mind of the world, not the mind of the professors, not the mind of the intellectuals. God says, they are fools. We are the children of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. Well, this man, Thomas Paine, became ill towards the end of his life. <clears throat> and there was this Quaker, Stephen Grillet, the adventurous Quaker. Well, he thought he would come and uh, celebrate it 
skeptic and he thought he would come and try to help him. Pain was dying and he was neglected and he was forsaken after all his preaching atheism. So he mentioned the case to the Quakers. He mentioned his atheism to these Quakers who came to help him. And among these was a young lady called Mary Roscoe. (coughs) She visited him constantly. And one afternoon, Mr. Payne, he asked her if uh, she had ever read any of his writings. And his most famous writing, if you go to Google, by the way, you'll find all of this. His, uh, His most famous writing was The Age of Reason. Reason. He wasn't interested in revelation. This is God's revealed will to you and to me. I believe that with all my heart. We would know nothing about God had he not revealed this. And the world out there in which we live has no real interest in God's revelation. No real interest in the Bible. They've taken it out of schools. They're doing everything they can in Europe and here in North America to eliminate God once again from people who love and cherish his word. So, this Mary Roscoe, have you ever read my book, The Age of Reason? Oh yes, she said, I have. Part of it, part of it. She told him she read it and the more dark and distressed her mind became as I've read your book. I read your book and it was just polluting my mind. And she ended up throwing it in the fire. Well, of course, this Thomas Paine was very, very annoyed. So the dying man looked and he said, Oh, how I wish that all had done as you did. If only everybody had thrown the book into the fire. Now here's a man who was dying. And there was no evidence that before he died, he put his trust in God. Here's a man who was famous in the world. But in the eyes of God, he was a fool. He was a fool. The rich fool of Luke's gospel, chapter 12, who sold all and all and did all these great plans. God called him a fool. He was clearly an atheist. He had no need for God. He never saw beyond himself. That's the problem with these intellectuals. He bragged about his wealth. The the possessive adjective my is used eight times. And the pronoun I is used four times. All occupied with himself. And he's telling everybody about it. He looked forward to years of retirement. Years of ease. Take it easy. Ingrained selfishness. No thought for other people. Totally occupied with himself. He thought he was in control of the future. As many people do today. But he was not rich towards God. That's what verse 21 says of Luke's gospel chapter 12. He was not rich towards God. God is not condemning his wealth by the way. Don't get me wrong. God does not condemn wealth. Job was a very wealthy man. Solomon was the richest man in the world. Abraham was a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. But there's no evidence of dishonesty in the lives of these men. 
They weren't perfect, of course, but they were wealthy men. And they knew under God what to do with their wealth. That's the secret. The problem was that this rich fool did not know himself. That he was mortal. He was going to die. And he should have considered the need of others. That's what we Christians are supposed to do. We are supposed, with the, with the wealth that God has given to us, we are to remember others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I might live for thee. That's the whole secret of being a Christian. And he didn't even stop to thank God or to glorify God for the wealth that he had. No wonder he was called, thy fool. Thy fool. What shall I render to God for all his benefits? That's the question from the word of God. His answer was, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now this is North America, a very wealthy continent. Canada and the USA, we have got possessions Those are not the principal things in life. Not the principal things in life, folks. Be careful. Look around and see the great need in the world. This is what God wants you to do. The Lord could come at any moment and you could die at any moment. And so could I. And we'll leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. Our interest should be in spiritual things. Remember Bunyan? John Bunyan? He wrote the Pilgrim's Progress. And he writes about a boisterous fool in this wonderful Pilgrim's Progress. This fool joined the Pilgrims on their way to heaven. And he says to the Pilgrims, where are you going? And the Christian, 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 who's the, the main person in the book, Christian answered, we're going to the celestial city. He said it with joy. And Bunyan's fool, who was there marching along with them, he fell into a fit of laughter. He was just laughing his head off at all of these people on the way to the celestial city. Well, the atheist who laughs has reached a very dangerous point. Very dangerous. Because he reveals his own life. He reveals his own thinking. He reveals his own disillusionment with life. He hasn't got his eyes fixed on God. That's why. So he finds his own journey and tedious. Walking with all of these Christians, he just he turned back. He turned back. Have you ever known someone like that? Ever known someone in your life? And you know, there they are. They come to the meetings and they, they do this with the saints and they do that with the saints. And all of a sudden they fall away. I have met people like this in my life. That's a horrible experience. They fall away. And when he fell away, he became a menace to everybody he, la- he, he met. He was laughing deliriously like a fool. Those Christians, he said, on the way to the celestial city. Such rubbish. Yes. And he reasoned like a fool. He says there's no such place. But there is a place. There is a heaven for those who are saved. There is a hell for those who are not saved. That's what God reveals It is God who tells us these things. His conclusion was foolish. Forget it. Forget it, he says. No such place as heaven. Well, that's what Israel did all the time. You remember Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, there they were. They entered the Sinai Peninsula. Those two and a half million people. Oh man, they were freed from Egypt. 
freed from Egypt. And they were going to the promised land. Look at them. There they're going. Under the leadership of Moses. Ah. But when they got to the borders of the promised land. Hey, we're not going in there. We're not going in. It's like, it's like Christians getting to heaven's gate and saying we're not going in. It's, I mean, it's ludicrous. But that's what they did. That's what they did. They missed, they missed the angels' food back there in Egypt. They missed the, uh, the onions and the garlic. And they had been feeding on the manna for those years. Well, God, you see, had them. God fed them in the, in the desert. But they all died off and a new generation it was who entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Even Moses was not allowed in. Take the world. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. That's what, the, that's what the attitude of the Christian should be. Take the world. Let the world go whatever way it wants. You're on your way to heaven, and so am I. And then, of course, as I close very quickly, Matthew 25. This, to me, is the most serious of all the fools. A fool positive and a fool comparative. This is the fool superlative. Five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. Look at them. There they are, the ten of them. They're together. They all seem to be the same. But five have oil in their lamps and five don't have oil in their lamp. They're waiting for the bridegroom coming. And five have oil. Which speaks of the Holy Spirit. They're the real Christians. The five who don't, who are mingling with the Christians, they don't have oil. They don't have oil. So where do you stand? Like here's a here's a group of what sixty people, what so, or so. Do you have oil in your lamp? Do you have the Holy Spirit in your being? What kind of a Christian are you? You say you're a Christian? What kind of a Christian are you? Now, this, is serious. this is a serious question. You mingle with believers. Everybody thinks you're a believer, but deep down in your heart, you know you're not a believer. You just like coming for what you can get. Look at Judas. Three and a half years, he was a disciple. He looked after the money bag. Look at Judas. Everybody thought he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, but he wasn't. He wasn't. I tell you, this is serious business. Ananias and Sapphira, they were all giving their money to Peter and the apostles. And Ananias and Sapphira said, hey, wait a moment, we'll keep some back. We'll pretend to give everything, but we'll keep things back. They pretended, to be honest. Deception. Deception is always evidence of a fool. Listen to what Proverbs 14 says. The folly of fools is deceit. If you're trying to deceive somebody, you watch out. You know you're deceiving. Now remember, if you're a deceiver, God calls you a fool. You're not a believer. I know this is serious stuff. Demas has forsaken me in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He loved the world. He loved the world. And he's forsaken me. I'm not sure if Demas was ever saved at all. Following God is not easy. He was probably a backslider. I'm not absolutely sure of that. 
There was Simon the sorcerer. Do you remember Simon the sorcerer of Acts chapter 8, verse 13? He believed. He believed the message. And he was baptized. And he continued with Philip. Wow! What a Christian! But he had a wrong view of salvation altogether. He believed in miracles and all of that, but he did not believe in Christ. You see, salvation transforms a man's life and a woman's life. Tell me, is your life transformed? Look into your heart as we are in the presence of God. And I, I'm not trying to put doubt in your mind, God forbid. I just want you to be real. I want you to be ready for the coming of Christ. I want you to be ready for when you die. Are you a real Christian? Or are you just a phony? Everybody thinks you're a Christian. You'll get all you can out of this assembly. This is serious. Serious business. James chapter 2 tells us that even the demons believe. You say you believe? Well, the demons believe. But they're not saved. Time is gone. I would ask you, as I look into my own heart, I've struggled with this message for the last two or three weeks. I look into my own heart. And brothers and sisters, I call upon you for reality. I call upon my own heart to be real Christians. Real Christians. Not putting on a facade, but in your heart, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in the one who loved you and died for you at Calvary. Repent of your sins and come to Jesus if you're not saved. If you are saved and you're slacking, you don't come to the meetings, everything, you just come now and again, you're not really serious, I ask you, look into your heart. Please look into your heart. Are you real? Are you a child of God? Are you a disciple? Do you follow Jesus day by day? Do you? May the Lord speak to all of our hearts. Let us pray. Our Father, we bow before you. These are solemn words that we have read from the Holy Scriptures. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be real. And if we claim to be Christians, that we will be up and doing seeking to gather with the saints. They continued steadfastly in the apostle doctrine and in the fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in the prayers. Lord, look upon us in mercy. Help us to examine our hearts in your presence. And when we leave this place, to ask ourselves the question, are we living foolishly for the world or are we living for the Lord Jesus Christ? seeking to give him all the praise and all the glory, for he alone is worthy. These things we pray in his lovely name. Amen.